Kinsley's going to come, and she's going to read for us chapter 8, 1 through 19. And so let's follow along. Kinsley serves us with her eloquent reading. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. You want to? Sure. Make sure it's flipped, it flipped up. Could have done that for you, too. Thank you. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and all the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated and in the seven mo- the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month the ark came to rest on the mountain of Iran and the waters continued to obey until the tenth month the, the tenth month in the tenth month on the first day of the month the tops of the mountains were seen and the end of forty days Noah opened a window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see the waters that had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him Returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in the mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and, he, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred and, f- and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth, and Noah moved the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your, your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing and is with you all the flesh birds, animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply the earth. So Noah went and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. Every beast, every creeping thing on the, and every bird, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, every Thing that moves on the earth went out by families on the ark. Amen. Thank you, thank you. You can leave it there. 
All right. Well, Genesis chapter 8 begins with some beautiful, powerful, and personal words. But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. Now, these words are meant to stand in stark contrast to what was previously written in chapter 7, verse 24. Remember, there's no chapters, right? In the real Bible, in the Bible, we add those to make it easier to find stuff. So we should read it this way, verse 24 of chapter 7. And the waters prevailed. That's bad. Okay, the waters prevailed. The waters dominated. The waters covered. The waters destroyed everything on the earth, 150 days. But God remembered Noah. That's how we should read it. The waters, oh, they prevailed on the earth 150 days. But... God remembered Noah. Listen, the contrast between chapter 7 and chapter 8, I know it was two weeks ago that we did chapter 7, but the contrast between the two is meant to be obvious and heart-gripping. Everything outside the ark has been blotted out and has been forgotten, but everything in the ark, beginning with Noah, has been remembered. And so the words, but God remembered Noah, are actually the hinge for the entire Noah story. They're the pivot point for the story of Noah in the ark. Now, what you wouldn't know, and I wouldn't know, without having done a lot of homework, is that this story of Noah in the ark, from start to finish, is a giant chiasm. And I'm going to explain what that means in a minute. It is a literary device to draw your attention to one specific thing, one focal point that the rest of the story really revolves around. So we're going to show you a picture of what this looks like to make it easier for you. So... This is the story, and there's, there's more. This is a, I could add more to this. But anyway, look right here. God remembers Noah. And what you got to notice is here. The Noah story begins here in 610. Noah and his sons. The Noah story is going to end with, in 919, what's it say? Noah and his sons. All the life on the earth, all the life on the earth. Cursed on the earth, blessed on the earth. Do you see what's happening? This is crazy writing. To construct a story, I don't know if you guys know, like the story of Noah and the ark takes up a lot of pages in our Bible. And there's a lot of detail. And I think one of the reasons is this. He wants to make the point that everything that happens in Noah and the ark is building up to God remembers Noah. And then everything that happens after it flows out of the reality that God remembers Noah. That is the most significant piece of this entire story. This is a literary masterpiece, really, with the author using this idea of chiasm to show us what the highest moment in the story is, the most significant moment in the whole story is that God remembers Noah. It seems that God uses this to grab our attention and to grip our hearts so that we don't miss the point God is trying to make. And of course, it raises the question, what does it mean when it says... But God remembered Noah. Let me tell you first what it does not mean. It does not mean that God had forgotten Noah. God was not out cleaning up other galaxies. And I'm like, oh no, Noah, oops, and ran back to get Noah. Okay, it doesn't mean that. Like, he's not like us. I forget things all the time. Maybe you do too. He's not like us. He's not forgetful. He doesn't forget them. He doesn't forget what's happening in the ark. So what does it mean? Here's what it means. When it says that Noah is remembered, or that God remembers Noah, it means that God is about to take specific action. Specific action. He's about to do something. 
Often in scripture, we see this phrase that God remembers, and it's linked to a covenant or a promise God makes, that God is not going to do something because of a promise. So we see this a couple other times in scripture. In Genesis 18, we see God remembering Abraham and Lot, and then he takes action and he rescues them from the fires of Sodom. In Genesis 30, God remembers Rachel and rescues her from her barrenness. In Exodus 2, God remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he sees the people in slavery, so he sends Moses to rescue them. So God is acting. Every time we see, re- we see remembered, God is on the move. God is doing action. So then that raises the next question. What is God going to do for Noah? If God remembering Noah means God is about to take action, we need to find out what is the action that God is taking on Noah's behalf. What is it that God's going to do? So what I want to do this morning is I want to draw our attention to the action God takes when he remembers Noah and then make what I believe to be simple yet powerful connections to you. None of us are expecting a flood today, but there are still connections for you. So here we go. You ready? Ready? Here we go. Number one, first thing, when God remembers, God redeems, and reverses judgment. Now, I'm going to admit, the language here is probably not the best. I struggled with how to word this one and tried to use the language of the text, but couldn't make it work, so we're going to tease it out and try to explain it. But when God remembers Noah, what he's doing is he's redeeming or reversing this judgment. God is about to reverse what he's done in chapter 7 in chapter 8. In fact, God does a lot of things in chapter 7 that he kind of undoes in chapter 8. And the primary thing that God removes in chapter 8, that's in chapter 7, is the flood. It's water. I know it sounds silly, but God seems to want us to make sure that we understand that all the water that fell in chapter 7 is going to be gone at the end of chapter 8. He wants to make sure we don't miss it. So let's look at some of the things that we see here. Chapter 7, verse 17. If you guys remember when we looked at this, I know it was two weeks ago. But in chapter 7, verse 17, we see that the flood continued 40 days and 40 nights on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the mountains were covered. Verse 20, the waters prevailed. Verse 24, the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Water is dominating the earth. Now look at chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. But when, Noah, when God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark, God made the wind blow on the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain in the heavens were restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of the 150 days, the waters abated. Go down to verse 5, and the waters continued to abate. So the point is, chapter 7, water is coming down. Chapter 8, the water is going away. Look at chapter 7, verse 11. In chapter 7, verse 11, the windows of the heavens were the end of chapter, end of verse 11 of chapter 7. The windows of the heavens were open. Now look over 8-2. What happens? The fountains of the deep, the windows, they're closed. They're closed. So God is reversing the flood. Well, look at 724. I want a kid to answer this one. Kids, look in your Bible. 724, how long is the water prevailing in chapter 7, verse 24? Good, 150 days. 150 days. Now, look at chapter 8, verse 3. 
How long is the water receding for? You guys know the answer without even looking. 149 days. How many? 150. You see what God's doing? This is the chiasm. There's parallels. He's undoing what he did. He's reversing what he did. In 712, how long does it rain for? Forty days and forty nights. Look at eight six. How long is the boat grounded? In chapter eight, verse six. Forty days and forty nights. So you see what's happening? We have all kinds of wet ground in chapter seven. Look at verses thirteen and fourteen of chapter eight. Thirteen and fourteen. It says, in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And he's going to say it again near the end of verse 13. The face of the ground was dry. And then look at verse, 11, verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So the earth is getting dry. It was wet, and now it's dry. So you kind of do your homework, right? Your mental homework. You pay attention. You notice things. You circle them. You figure out, okay, I see this pattern. And then you ask yourself, so what? What's the point? Well, the point is this. The point is that water was God's instrument for destruction, judgment, and death. And now God is remembering Noah and taking away the waters of judgment. He's removing the waters of judgment. God is keeping his promise to keep Noah and his family alive. After all, if the water doesn't recede, what happens to Noah? He's going to die. He and his family will eventually eat all the animals. That's what I probably would do. And then they die. If the waters don't recede, they die. So being rescued from judgment, Noah had to be taken through the flood. And then God had to undo the flood in order for Noah to be preserved and for Noah to live. So it seems clear to me that the details of chapter 8, because there's details there that just... We, if you've read this a lot of times, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've read that a lot of times. You read it for the first time, you go, why all those details? Like, this is ridiculous, redundant stuff you're doing, God. Why? You can just say it once. The story could be one page. The reason is God's trying to make a point. The details of this chapter are so that we will see that when God remembers Noah, he takes action on his covenant promise and removes or rescues him from future judgment. Do you see that? He's wiping out judgment. And according to the, the literary structure, the chiasm, this is the most significant moment in Noah's life, that God would remember him. And then when God remembers him, God would take action and remove judgment. Do you hear that? The good news for Noah is that the waters of judgment have dried up. Now, is that in any way good news for us? <laughs> Could this be somehow foreshadowing something? Well, not just somehow, but Peter actually tells us exactly how we're supposed to understand this story. So follow along with me. There's why, hold on. Uh, here's why we are going to look at this because of Noah. So this is about Noah. And what Peter's going to do is he's going to connect Noah to Jesus and to us and what happens. So 
there's not a whole lot to figure out other than to understand the connection that's being made. So here's what he says. For if God, now here's what I got to show you. This is one big if-then statement. So if God, and we're going to have all these ifs. We can find them all. Do-do-do. And then there's the then. Here's one more if. This is important because he's building it. If, if this is true, then this is true. And at the bottom, you're at the bottom in the then. So the top better happen. Those ifs better happen so that your then will happen. Got it? All right, so now let's look at it. If God, so here's the judgment. Okay, this is the, we're talking about the judgment waters, right? The, the flood's been taken away. The judgment water has been removed. So here's the connection that God has Peter make for us. If God did not spare the angels, so they're not being spared, the angels, when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, but kept to be kept until the day of, I'm going to circle the word judgment. There's judgment coming. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So Noah is getting preserved. I had to change that color. He's being preserved. A herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the ungodly. If, now he's going to give us a second analogy. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them all examples of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, so we got some rescue going on here. Again, I guess I should do this. Rescued, he's preserved. Righteous Lot. And this, now we get a glimpse into his heart, Lot's heart, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as, the right, for as that righteous man lived among them in that day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So if all these things happen, if God did not spare but, but brought hell and judgment and darkness, but he was able to preserve Noah and he brought ashes and condemnation and extinction to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, but preserved Lot, then, see it? Then, the Lord knows how to, what? Rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Do you see the good news for us? It's the same good news as for Noah, really. Noah was preserved through the flood. It's what he says. God preserved Noah when judgment came. And the story of Noah is meant to have us go, oh, just like God preserved Noah in the judgment, guess what? God is going to preserve you in judgment. And he's going to rescue you in judgment. That's the good news for you. You're not going to face judgment. If you're, if you're even partially aware of how you've lived this week, that's really good news. If you're even the slightest bit aware of what goes on in your heart every day, that is really good news. There's no judgment. The waters of judgment are completely dried up and you're free. Now that is good news. There is no better news. One day you will face God and you will have no judgment because the waters have been dried up in Christ. There's a second thing we see in this story. When God remembers Things are opened up and set free. They're opened up and set free. In chapter 7, the window of the ark is closed. But in chapter 8, verse 6, what does Noah do to the ark window? Chapter 8, verse 6. It was closed in 7, and so in 8, it's 
more closed. It's open. What is Noah doing in 8.13 to his ark? He's taking it apart. The ark that he constructed is now coming apart. He begins taking it apart. Everything that happened earlier is now being undone because God remembered Noah. Look at the birds. In chapter 7, the birds go into the ark. In chapter 8, we see Noah setting the raven free. He sets it forth, right? He doesn't come back because what does he eat? He eats dead animals and dead flesh. So why would he come back? There's bodies floating everywhere. So he's got plenty of food. He doesn't need to come back. Sends the dove out once. He sends the dove out twice. He sends the dove out three times. And finally, the dove does not return. So he keeps sending them out. At the end of chapter 7, everything is dead. And then what does the dove bring back in verse 11? What kind of olive branch? Fresh. There's life. Everything's dead in chapter 7. Now we see there's, there's life on the earth. Let's go to the bringing ins and bringing outs. Look at verse 16. All the stuff that goes into the ark. Ten times we saw that in chapter 7. Everything's getting piled into the ark. Now look at 8.16. Go out from the ark. Look at verse 17. Bring out. Look at verse 18. So Noah went out. Look at the end of verse 19. Went out by families. You guys see those? All those went outs, went out. You see what's happening? Things went in the ark, and now things are coming out of the ark. Everything is being opened up, and everything is being set free. It seems that when judgment ends for those outside the ark, blessings flow to those who are inside the ark. Everyone outside the ark thought they were free, and now they're dead. Everyone inside the ark thought they were in quarantine but now they're alive. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So I would say that God includes the details of Genesis 8 in his word so we'll see that when God remembers Noah, he takes action on his promise by removing future judgment and setting them all free, giving them new life on a new earth. We'll talk about that more next week. But he sets them free God is not just about rescuing those with faith from judgment, but he rescues them so they can be alive and be set free. And this is what happens when God remembers Noah. It's almost as if, almost, God wants us to know that he loves to carry his children through judgment and then bless them on the other side. It's like God wants us to see that the highest moment for Noah— the most significant moment in Noah's life is when God remembers him, removes future judgment, and then sets him free to live on the earth. Maybe another way to put it would be this. The good news for Noah is God remembered him. The good news for Noah is that God is keeping his promise with Noah. The good news for Noah, the most significant high point of his life, is that when God took action, he eliminated judgment and set him free. Isn't the same true for you. It's the same good news. Doesn't this foreshadow you? Isn't the highest point in your life when God remembered you? When God took action for you? When he carried you through judgment? Listen, the good news for Noah and the good news for you is the same. God remembered Noah. God remembered you. 
God kept his covenant promise with Noah. God keeps his covenant promise with you. God rescued Noah from judgment. God rescues you from judgment through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God sets you free like he sets Noah free to roam the earth for his glory. This foreshadowing is insane. And it's not just as if it could be foreshadowing because, thanks to Peter, he shows us exactly this. So let's look at this verse. So we're going to see suffering because there has to be suffering and there has to be punishment in order for judgment to be removed. Only this time, it's not the people who are paying for it. It's who? Christ. Let's read this. And the reason we're looking at this story is because brought safety through the water. And look, who's here? Noah. So Peter now is going to make a connection for us in a little different way. In 1 Peter, connecting Noah to your life today. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Why did Jesus save you? Because he wants to bring you to God so that you could be to God. Being put to death in the flesh, Jesus was, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed, oh, we're not going to get into this one, <laughs> which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience, God, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, this is the key for us, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Key phrase. What is he doing? He's connecting Noah, being brought through the water of the flood, safely. And then baptism is a picture of that. It corresponds with this. Last week, four people got baptized. And we did not mention this one, but we're mentioning it now, that when someone goes down into the water, it is a picture of going down into the judgment of the flood. And then a good, reasonable pastor lets the person get up rather quickly <laughs> so they don't experience the judgment of drowning. And you come up out of the water safe, safe, through the water. That's the picture that baptism is supposed to make for us. So what Noah went through, we go through in baptism as a picture of what happened to you because you had been brought safely through judgment because Christ was judged in your place. Christ suffered death in your place so you don't have to drown in the waters of judgment. That's the point Peter's trying to make. Third thing we see, when God remembers, God gives rest. When God remembers, God gives rest. Back in chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, we find the ark floating around, tossing to and fro. In chapter 8, verse 4, where, what is the ark doing? It comes to rest. It is resting. Now, does anybody remember all the way back to chapter 5, verse 29, the first time we hear Noah's name, what Noah's name sounds like in Hebrew and means? Rest. His name means rest. His name pronounced in the Hebrew sounds like rest. 
So Noah, whose name means rest, is now resting on Mount Ararat. Now, why is this significant? Why? I'm going to go down a little road here, and you tell me whether you think I'm crazy later. But when God gave Noah instructions and the blueprint for building the ark, there were some things missing in that design that you would find on any other boat ever made. What are, what's missing from the boat? There's plenty of bathroom space. A rudder and a sail or an engine. They're not in the blueprints. So there is no way, there's no rudder, there is no way for Noah to steer or control where he is going. The ark has no engine or sail. So there's no way for him to control how fast or how slow the ark is going. Noah is going to spend a year of his life with no control over how fast or how slow he's going. He'll spend a year of his life with no control over where he is going. No control over the direction he can go. Can any of us relate? You ever feel like life is out of control? Things are going a little too fast? Or perhaps things are going a little too slow? (laughs) Maybe you feel trapped. Things are happening maybe at work for you or at school with your friends or family in ways you never anticipated. They're out of control. Maybe finances are out of control. Maybe your health emotionally or physically is out of control. Life is just doing things you don't want life to do. You ever feel that way? Like you have no control over what's happened, no control over the trials, no control over the sufferings. You're just bouncing along without any control. Well, guess what? The reason you don't feel like you are in control is because you are in no more control of your life than Noah is of the ark. You don't need to give Jesus permission to take the wheel because he already has the wheel and the gas pedal and the brake. And he's in complete control of your life. So we find Noah nestled in the ark, protected from judgment and death, with God and God alone determining the direction and the speed of his life. So the good news for Noah... And when I say this, I hesitate to say good news when I put my name in there instead of Noah's name. But the good news for Noah is that he's not in control, but that God is in control. And that by grace, he protects him from judgment and death and leads him to dry ground. So the good news for Noah is at the end, God remembered Noah, most significant thing in his life. And it ended with him getting rest. Noah gets rest. Now, before I move on from here, say this. Do we know anyone else who has ever come along and offered you rest? Rest when you're weary. Rest when you're tired. Rest when you want to give up. Perhaps we hear a little echo into the future where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, burned burned out, tired, crushed, tossed to and fro, and I will give you rest. He offers rest. He offers rest. So I think the story of Noah foreshadows that when we are in Christ, you and I are nestled in his protection from judgment and death. And ultimately, although you feel like you're bouncing around, he wants to lead you to a place of rest, of rest. I don't know what your trials are. I want to go back to this verse again that we looked at a few minutes ago. 
James, if I could thank you. And I just want you to look at one thing down here, and that is he knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials, 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 trials. He knows how to rescue Noah. He knows how to rescue you. I have no idea what trials you are living through, what challenges you're facing, but the story of Noah is meant to cause us to go, if God could rescue Noah from his trial, then God can rescue me from mine. That's the point. That's the point Peter's making. If God rescued Noah, God can rescue me. He's encouraging us through Peter really to gaze on Noah's rescue and say God can do the same. He can rescue me from all trials. And in the context here, the trial is judgment. And that's your biggest problem. I don't know what problem you're facing right now, what trial you're walking through, how your boat is getting tossed all over the place, but you have no greater need than to be rescued from judgment. And God took care of that in Christ. All right, so there's one more thing here. (laughs) It makes me laugh when I even think about it. Fourth thing I see in this story about God remembering Noah is this. That God remembers Noah when God decides it's time to remember Noah. (laughs) God remembers Noah when God decides it's time to remember Noah. One of the things that smacks the reader in the face, if you slow down and read it, is the detailed timeline and the dates and the numbers that we see the, with the water rising and with it receding. There's all these dates. There's all these timelines. It's not hard to piece together a timeline. And we have to ask, why does God include that? It doesn't really push the story forward to know what year it was or how many days it took, does it? The fact is it just happened, right? It just happened. Those dates aren't important, are they? Well, the guy they must be or they wouldn't be in there. And so let's figure out why are they there. I think God includes them so that we will see that Noah... Was on, was on the ark perhaps a bit longer than originally anticipated. Which could have caused him to think, God's forgotten me. God forgot, he forgets I'm here. Let me tell you why I see this. I think it took an unexpected amount of time for the water to recede. If it took 40 days and 40 nights to flood the earth, how many days do you think it would take for the waters to recede? 40? Let's double it. Twice as long for the water to go away as it, had, it took to come. 80 days. Do you know how long he was on the ark? 365 days plus a few probably. So I'm, I'm identifying with Noah and I'm going, okay, this story, the, these details are now being included, all these dates, so that I can see that Noah waited a long time. And as he's waiting, when you have to wait in a trial and you don't hear from God, what do you think? Where are you? Hello? And that's very clear here, too, in the text. In 7.1, we read, God said to Noah. God speaks in 7.1. In 7.1, God speaks, and he says, Noah, get on the ark. Do you know when the next time is that God speaks to Noah? Get out of the ark, which isn't until chapter 8, verse 15. So according to what is written, 
Noah hears from God when it's time to get into the ark, and he doesn't hear from God again, what's recorded for us anyway, which I think is what's most important, not to speculate, but what we know for a fact is God has not talked to him again until it's time to get off the ark. So if I'm Noah, and I'm getting into, into day 100, and 150, and 200, and 300, I have to be wondering, hello? You don't think Mrs. Noah was like, Noah, what's up, dude? You don't think the sons were like, come on, dad, what's happening? You got us into this mess? 40 days, he said, of rain. Why are we still floating around now after 80 and 90 and 100? And why are we still sitting in this boat on day 365? I don't like quarantine. Stick me on a boat. 365 days plus. Why? We have to ask, why does God take so long to remove the water? You don't think he could have done it more quickly? Do you have any doubts that God couldn't have just pulled the plug and the water was gone in 40 days? In 80 days? He could have done it in 100 days. Why take all that time, God? Why? You ever ask that? God, why are you taking so long? God, why don't I hear you speaking? Well, as is typical with God, God does things in his timing for his purposes. And I'm pretty confident that his purpose for taking 365 plus days to dry up the ark was to teach Noah to trust him in waiting. I think it's to show him that no matter how long the waiting, God doesn't forget those who by grace, through faith, go into the ark. Waiting. We all love to wait, don't we? I don't know if any of you feel like you're forgotten by God this morning. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you're tempted to think God doesn't hear me. God's not out there. It's been way too long, God. Obviously, you, you don't have your eye on me. Perhaps you feel like you're aimlessly bobbing around through life, going in different directions all the while, waiting and waiting and waiting. God, will you remember me? So listen, God has not forgotten about you. And God is accomplishing his purposes, whether you see it or not, in the waiting. Listen to me, Right from God's word, I want to tell you what's true. God never forgets you. You are never insignificant to God. You are never a number or a face in the crowd. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows the hairs on your head. For some of us, that's more important than others, Paul. (laughs) He doesn't just see us. He sees you. And he knows you. Now, this is not negate that there are times when we feel forgotten by God. There's times in all of our lives where we feel forgotten. So God tells us point blank in Hebrews 11, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never give up on you. In the Greek, you could read, I will never send you back. You're mine. Nor will I ever abandon you or forsake you. I'm always with you, and I will never turn my back. 
That's not my words. That's not my words. It's God's words. God promises if you are in Christ, he will never leave you. He will never, ever forsake you. If you want a picture of what this looks like, Isaiah chapter 49, we get a picture where Isaiah asks some rhetorical questions. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Answer? No. Because if she tries, what happens? The kid screams. She can't forget that she should have compassion on the son of her womb. What mom is not filled with compassion for their child? That's the point. But even if they do forget, I love that. But even if somehow, maybe you know a mom who did, just in case, what does he say? God says this, I will not forget you. Listen, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. From the oldest person in this room to the youngest person in this room, you are not forgotten. Now, I can't tell you how God will rescue you in your trial or when he will rescue you through your suffering or the floating around on this earth aimlessly, but I do know that he sees you in your trial. He knows every detail of your trial. He is more than able to rescue you from your trial, and perhaps most importantly, he's with you in it. He's with you in it. Speak truth to yourself. If you don't feel his nearness, tell yourself, God tells me he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will not forget me. Hear Jesus saying to you this morning in your trial, come to me and I will give you rest. See, the good news for Noah was that even though his trial lasted longer than expected, God remembered him. And when God remembered him, God rescued him, God set him free, God gave him rest. And the good news for you this morning is that even though maybe your trial is lasting longer than you expected, God remembers you, God rescues you, God sets you free, and God will give you rest. The most significant moment in Noah's life was when God remembered Noah and took action. The most significant moment in your life is that God and when he remembered you and took action and saved you and rescued you from future judgment. That's the story of Noah. His most significant moment is your most significant moment. So tomorrow when you wake up, you can tell yourself, no matter what happens today, nothing's going to compare to that moment. Your life may not be a perfect chiasm like Noah's. <laughs> but that story is written so that you'll see not just the most important moment, the most significant moment in Noah's life, but the most significant moment in your own. I want to encourage you this morning. We do things around here in community. So if you identify, perhaps, with feeling forgotten, suffering in your trial, discouraged, life's bouncing all over the place, I want to invite you to grab some people around you later and pray before you leave today. Ask others to encourage you. We need one another, especially when we feel like God's far away. Especially when we feel like God is far away.